Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Lateral Show. Fasten your seatbelts, because here we go. that we didn't get to do a show last week but you know traveling all the way to ohio and back you know it take takes uh, takes a lot out of you so really glad we gave ourselves that extra prep time but at any rate i am herms you can find me on twitter at herms nfl and i am joined as always by my co-host mick lateral what is up uh my voice is shot so full disclosure on that otherwise uh you know still still recovering from the expo yeah no i feel you i mean like somehow after that night of karaoke i didn't lose my voice it it astonishes me that i can still talk but uh well we're here you know so at herms nfl at mclateral ff you can find the lateral on twitter at the lateral ff we got the website www.lateralff.com and we have this podcast which you know about but we also have a youtube channel if you want to find it if you look for it hard enough you will find it so there it is that's all the pluggables up top now we get into the show we have got some on my soapbox to do we have some rookie quarterback theme talk for the hot seat and then we will get into just a whole discussion about projections versus rankings versus adp and just like what it all means and how we use each of these things to really determine who are the players that we are going to draft for our teams. Because I don't know if any of you are aware of this, but if you if you check the calendar, I would imagine that for many of us, our drafts are coming up very soon. So, you know, get yourself back into that mindset if you're not there already. And, you know, we'll help you along the way. Then, rounded out, we have a... Fairly robust mailbag, which we will be, you know, trying to leave a little more time for this week. But uh, at any rate, we don't have a lot of time to uh, to waste. So why don't we get ourselves on those soapboxes? Uh, you want to go first? Yeah. So I'm going to continue the theme of not wasting a lot of time. I wrote fish, our friends, not food, a.k.a. I have nothing. My brain is still much from the expo. The expo was a blast. It was awesome meeting bunch of people there from the twitter verse um yeah that's that's like that's all i got man i i do not blame you at all um my brain is also mush my my body is also mush i mean i wore like two copper fit sleeves on my legs to work today because of how much we walked around and stood around all weekend oh it was it was something i am definitely struggling uh my soapbox is, um, it seems that I cannot escape Blues Traveler. This is something that you and I experienced a lot. Um, we heard parts of, if not all of, Blues Traveler's hit run around 
on at least four different occasions throughout our entire trip at just like the most random times. And while I was at work today, on the radio comes Blues Travelers Run Around. We can't, we can't escape this. I, I feel like this is just going to keep happening for the rest of my life now. We have been cursed by Blues Traveler. And the joke that I kept getting was, you know, like the hook keeps you coming back or whatever, but it's like, it wasn't even that song. It wasn't even hook. <laughs> you see, you know, what's funny. You're cursed because you have the knowledge of what blues traveler is for me. I know blues travelers existence, but if you don't tell me it's blues traveler, I don't know. I just know it's that song. You do have that going for you. And I definitely envy you in that regard fantastic (laughs) oh my gosh so uh shout out blues traveler haunting just me for the rest of my life there we go oh if if any of you ever go to the pro football hall of fame they have a very bizarre uh (laughs) like hologram based movies about you know 15 20 minutes or something there's like a random explosion at the beginning that just absolutely scared the fucking shit out of me and then yeah joe namath got weird so Crisco, if you're listening uh no joe namath did not prepare me to uh <laughs> fight on and conquer the day if anything uh he was in my nightmares along with blues traveler so <laughs> there we go that's <laughs> that's there's the soapbox uh all right Hot Sweet. seat. There it is. Uh, important things from week one of the preseason. The rookie quarterbacks, you know, the, we, much has been made from yeah, analysts and, you know, people alike about these rookies. You know, it's a fairly robust class, you know, seeing the likes of Justin Fields and, you know, Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence out there. You know, it's just we, we got the first look, you know, so. I figured, you know, might be a good idea to just go through and talk about these rookies a little bit. So uh, as we have them appearing in order on the show sheet, uh, what do you tell me about uh, what what you saw from Zach Wilson of the Jets? Yeah, so when putting together the show sheet, I felt the move was to go with like the order of most likely to start week one to least likely to start week one. Uh, and since we all know that Trevor Lawrence is still in a heated camp battle with Gardner Minshew, <laughs> per head coach Urban Meyer, I had to put Zach Wilson first. Um, he was fine. He didn't really have the opportunity to flash, to be fair. I'm not a big Zach Wilson guy, but I didn't really see much from Zach Wilson in fairness in this game and in the stats, et cetera, et cetera, to really go, well, he failed. You know, he was fine. Uh, and I think an offensive pass interference call really derailed a drive. That could have been something like it ended up being a turnover on downs because he got him almost all the way back, but just couldn't quite happen. Um, and I feel like because he is a starter, we saw a little less from him. It's same with Lawrence than we did from like guys like Fields and Jones, who really got a opportunity to shine. Yeah, no, I feel you. And um you know, I would say the thing that at least I took away from it was um, there seemed to be a decent connection between him and uh, wide receiver Corey Davis. So yeah. for those of you that are uh, 
you know, looking, you know, around and seeing like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what I should do. And how should I, uh, you know, approach these Jets wide receivers? Because I know for a lot of people, you know, you get scared off by, you know, like, oh, wide receivers on bad teams. Why would I ever want to invest in that? It's like, well, here's the fact of the matter. Someone has to catch the ball. And uh, I don't know. I, I think Corey Davis is probably the most likely guy to lead the team in targets and do fairly well. And, you know, that's just th- throwing that out there. Just a fun little bonus nugget of information. If you're if you're looking for a Jets wide receiver that you want, that's my recommendation for that guy. But, yeah, I mean, and, and, and he had, uh, you know, Zach Wilson had some zip on his throws. That was nice. But, you know, otherwise I'm pretty much with you on everything there. So unless you have anything else to add, we've got Trevor Lawrence to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, I would add just in general, it's week one of the preseason. So everything's going to be a little weird. For example, you know, the jets had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, oh, 17 wow. different people catch a pass. Oh, um, that doesn't happen in an NFL game. I think actually just about anyone listening to this podcast, whether you are a fantasy expert or a fantasy novice, knows that that doesn't happen in an NFL game. I would um, hope so. <laughs> so just bear that in mind when looking at some guys that maybe popped in week one of the preseason. So, for example, we talked about Corey Davis with the Jets. Um, no Elijah Moore. Now, I think Corey Davis showed enough that he's probably ahead of Elijah Moore, but Elijah Moore wasn't there to prove him right or wrong. So these are just things to keep in mind because for all we know, if Zach Wilson had played the whole game, maybe Corey Davis would have completely gone off. So, you know, it, you, you have to, with games like these, learn to balance them appropriately in your head and trust that balance. And I am trusting the balance of what I saw with Trevor Lawrence, which was not great, but also his team's not great. Like, very true. You know, very true. He had a couple nice passes. He didn't look great, and the rushing upside was nowhere to be seen. But I don't know if that's Urban Meyer telling him don't run the ball. You know, that team does not look cohesive yet. It doesn't look particularly good. There is a lone bright spot I have from that team, which we'll get to later on in the show. But um, it wasn't Trevor Lawrence. But again, I'm not sure how much of it was his fault. True. And also that lone bright spot is not Tim Tebow. I no. figured it would be uh, just good to sprinkle it in, you know, just like the that experiment uh, has the, come to a close. The, if you have not seen the news, <laughs> Tim yeah. Tebow no longer on the team. So the quote I saw from The Athletic was he looked like a quarterback or an outfielder who had played quarterback that was trying to play tight end. Yeah, I saw a clip of uh, him trying to make a block, and it was not the prettiest thing I've ever seen, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there's only so much you can do. You know, and hey, you know, whatever is next for him, whether it's you know, I don't know, badminton or maybe he could go play in the NBA or something. You know, if, if rugby, he's built now. You know, it's, hey, it's anything is possible. Shout out Tim Tebow, but uh, that chapter seems to have come to a close. This is probably the last time we will ever see Tim Tebow in an NFL uniform. Um, yeah, I, but, th- I think that. I think that. Oh yes, what's up? But it was the first time we saw Justin Fields in an NFL uniform. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> baby. 
Oh, I'm going to have to calm down. Okay. While I calm down, you let the people know why I'm so hot and bothered. I was going to say, I don't think what I'm going to say is going to help you calm down because my first two words are absolutely electric. I mean, a long passing touchdown, a red zone rushing attempt that turns into a touchdown. No picks. Looks like Russell Wilson out there. He had more third quarter TD drives than the Bears had through 10 games last year. Holy shit, dude. And I remember we were talking about on the drive home, you know, just the whole, because I mean, we do know some Bears fans. And uh, earlier in the offseason, there was that speculation. It's like, you know, maybe they might trade for Russell Wilson. And it got people like really excited, you know, and then things kind of fell through. And, you know, Russell Wilson has we know still a member of the Seattle Seahawks, but it's like, well, they may not have been able to trade for Russell Wilson, but it it sure looks like they just drafted a younger version. So they won. They, I feel like that's a win. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just for the record, there are the Panthers and the Broncos who passed on Justin Fields. And I have a feeling this is going to be like the people who passed up on Pat Mahomes. I'm not saying that Fields will be Mahomes, but I'm saying that like the shade that these teams that passed on him are going to get is going to be very similar to like the teams that passed up on Patrick Mahomes, which is good news for the Bears because now they get to shed that because they made a good decision. Yeah, immediately making up for, you know, the the Mitchell Trubisky pick. And, you know, referencing another, you know, quirky band from the 90s, we do have to keep in mind, it's been one week. So, you know, obviously, you know, I don't want to get, you know, too deep with it. Shout out the Bare Naked Ladies. But at the same time, that one week looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. Oh, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. And we we will touch on uh, Justin Fields a little bit more coming up later in the program. So if you want to save some of that and move on to one McCorkle Mac Jones, what do you say? What do, what do you say we do that? Is that, is that cool? Well, um, are we going to reference another 90s band? Because uh, Mr. Jones... Mr. Jones. I love this theme. This is a great. <laughs> this is well, fabulous. Mr. Jones looked pretty good. Um, no touchdowns, but looked solid under center. And I think more importantly, looked better than Cam Newton. I mean, noticeably better than Cam Newton. Oh, man. Because we were watching that game on TV. And I remember especially the look on Cam Newton's face after he got absolutely obliterated by Chase Young. Just like, yikes! Oh! You don't... You you hate to see it. You really hate to see it, folks. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, like, his throws looked wobbly. He did not look confident. I mean, this could end up being a Mac Jones tweet, as the the youths say, uh, but it is certainly a Cam Newton tweet at this point. Like, I think Mac Jones now is a real start chance to start sooner rather than later um especially if he keeps looking so polished in comparison to cam yeah and even that like some of the throws that we saw from mac were a little closer to the ground and i did see you know people say stuff about that but at the same time to really hammer that point home it was still way better than cam Newton. Yeah, it really was <laughs> like a bar for him 
to clear in that regard is on the floor. All he has to do is simply step over that bar, and he is better than Cam Newton. So shout out Mac Jones doing his thing. I mean, you you, you love to see it, you know, because I know how much, you know, coming into this, you know, you really like Mac Jones. I really like Mac Jones. Not as much as you do, but, you know, it, it seems that we could see a shift at quarterback there a little sooner than anticipated, which is the complete inverse for the next player that we are going to talk about, at least in our eyes. Yeah, so Trey Lance, he had a more electric play than Mac Jones. I mean, that touchdown pass to Sheriffville is like awesome. Wow, we did that at the Fantastic. same time. Wow. Design design play, maybe just like that whistle. Sure. Design whistles <laughs> yeah, um, but it was awesome. Here's the thing, though. We also saw some inconsistencies. You know, there were some drops involved, but like that final stat line is five for 14. That's not great. Jimmy Garoppolo, again, shorter passes from him, more controlled, but every one was a completion. Uh, and I think that's the sort of thing that's going to lead to Garoppolo starting for this team, at least as the season begins. I think Trey Lance is raw, and I think we saw some of that rawness this week. But we also saw some of the potential and why he was the number three overall pick and why he will be the starter at the very least for week one of 2022. Yeah, and, you know, we also saw certain things about how the team is planning to design certain packages for Trey Lance in the red zone. And this is another conversation that we ended up having, this weird kind of situation that we saw similar to Lamar Jackson in his rookie year, periodically coming in to the game with Joe Flacco still being the starter. But the main difference here being the likelihood of, Trey Lance taking over as the starter like Lamar Jackson did at the end of his rookie year, probably not high. And this is where I get to eat my words from the two very long arguments that we've had about this in the show's history, because it seems I was very wrong. <laughs> I am no longer I yet. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably starting for the majority of the season. If not all of it, I've changed my tune. I I'm I I was probably wrong. It's fine. But it is and that's the beauty of this. It's okay to admit when you're wrong, people never get caught in take lock. We talked about that, you know, before on this show. So it's just like, you know, this is one of those things, man. Like it could be interesting to see if he could have situational viability just to be like, oh well, this could be a good matchup for us to be able to, you know, maybe they could use him as a weapon against this defense in the red zone. But how are we really gonna be able to project that how are we gonna be good at guessing when those weeks are gonna be my hunch is probably not so i don't know man i don't know yeah i'd say you know maybe you're wrong but you're not crazy i get why people think and thought that lance was gonna be the guy again they spent a third round pick on him he did show some of that electric playmaking that does make him such a coveted talent but again i just you know this team wants to win games because it wants to win a Super Bowl. And it will do whatever it needs to do in order to do that. And if that is going to be sprinkling in Lance rather than making him the full starter, that is exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. And, you know, I think the likelihood of Trey Lance starting at least one game is 100%. And it might just be 
the last regular season game just because. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, like at that point, like, because assuming all things being equal and assuming health, this is a playoff team, right? I would think so. I think, again, I think on DLF, I projected them at 12 and 5. So that would be a playoff team for sure. The tricky thing will be, is that a division winner? Because that division's really stacked. Rams could finish 13 and 4. Seahawks could finish 13 and 4, which would be better than 12 and 5. You know? I I still stand by, you know, and I've made this statement, you know, multiple uh, I almost said crimes. Wow, that oh, just, I am not committing multiple crimes across mul- uh, multiple times across multiple shows. I that has got to be the toughest division in football at this point. I mean, dear God, top to bottom, top to bottom. I, wow. I would I would say yes because our Cincinnati Bengals are the Arizona Cardinals, and the Arizona Cardinals are better than the Cincinnati Bengals. Ain't ain't that the truth? Ain't. No that the truth um yeah i think that uh yeah do you want to rank uh how do you how'd you have them in your head just a real quick uh one through five all right well i was gonna pull up my trusty rankings here and i do have justin fields followed by trevor lawrence followed by followed by mccorkle then wilson and then at this point lance being last so that's probably how i have it there what about you so i would say if i'm ranking their performance from this past week i have fields then jones then lance then wilson then lawrence uh if i'm looking at like where i have them ranked just in terms of draft rankings it is fields then lawrence then lance actually uh then wilson and then Joe um Jones and I think that really comes down to with the Lance Wilson thing it's the ceiling argument so like if Trey Lance yeah. takes over that team his ceiling Fair. is just higher than Zach Wilson so I'd rather draft him than Zach Wilson but they're also my QB 23 and 24 respectively I'm not drafting either of them yeah and I mean and there is a slim but existent argument to be made that Trey Lance's ceiling could even be higher than that of a Trevor Lawrence if he were to do some of that. Sure. Again, I'm not necessarily advocating on behalf of that, but I'm also not. It's within the range. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, just that something to throw out there, but we're, we're pretty much in sync on that one. And then as far as just, I get to round out the hot seat here. Is there a player that stood out to you that is not any of these guys? Is it too early to take a victory lap on Marvin Jones? Uh, maybe, but I, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. All right. I've been saying all off season that the Jags brought in Marvin Jones for a reason. That's true. And this that true. would lead him to be the wide receiver too on that offense. We would still have to figure out who of Visca and Chark and Chark didn't play this week. It could still be Chark, even though I have it as Visca. They're also all within like eight places of each other uh in my rankings it's not like i have them that drastically different but like marvin jones looked good he's clearly developing an early rapport with trevor lawrence he's a trusted veteran presence that still has gas in the tank and was brought in specifically by this team to provide exactly this to trevor lawrence so like is marvin jones suddenly going to become like you know 
the like top 20 wide receiver he was at times last year probably not that was largely due to the fact that he was like the lone target in Detroit uh at times you know aside from Hawkinson and Swift but like you know he was the wide receiver for sure and he'll have more competition in Jacksonville but like don't sleep on Marvin Jones he could he could turn out to be a poor man's Antonio Brown which is already pretty cheap yeah and in to that point I have moved Marvin Jones not like significantly higher in my rankings but like it's still a fairly sizable jump, I would say. And I now have the Jaguars wide receivers in order in my rankings. Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark. That the way that this is playing out, you know, I now have Marvin Jones at wide receiver 34. I I don't really I was a little skeptical there for a little bit, but man, you know, like the tape does not lie, nor do the numbers. Like, it started pretty strong. It started pretty strong. I'm definitely here for it, man. Like, Marvin Jones, familiar name. It seemed like a weird situation, but folks, pay attention to this. Definitely, definitely pay attention to this. And if I am going to keep it in the wide receiver realm, my guy, whose last name, if I remember correctly, also ends with Junior. Yes, it does. Terrace Marshall, not Terrence. We really need to get better at this, people. Terrace. He is not. Oh, no, that's Clarence. I was going to say he's not Anthony Mackie from uh, 8 Mile. But that's Clarence. <laughs> yes, his real name is Terrace. There we go. There we go. Uh, new, new joke into the lexicon. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, we were watching the highlight of that uh, very, very broken play from, uh, you know, P.J. Walker to uh terrace marshall jr that ended up going for what was it 60 yards it's pretty you good know? yeah like we all acknowledge you know it's like a little bit of a broken play you know some busted coverage but hey you know props to terrace marshall for doing it and getting the job done you know three catches on five targets for 88 yards i thought he looked pretty good and you know from everything that i saw and everything you know that i've been reading from you know people who cover the team you know just like they were using him out of multiple slots and all this other stuff, you know, so it's just like, okay, okay, I see you, boo. I see you, boo. There's a decent chance that he could be he could be viable for fantasy a lot sooner than I thought he could be. He went from being one of those dudes that I was just like, you know, don't draft him, but hit the watch button, you know, especially, you know, like on your waiver wire early to see what takes place to... If you want to take your last pick and just pick up Terrace Marshall as like your wide receiver five or six or whatever, especially for those of you that play in deeper leagues, you know, like or like sixteen. Well, then again, in a sixteen-team league, you were probably taking him anyway. But I digress. Terrace Marshall, this this dude's got some stuff going on. I think that that's something. Uh, I think that's something we ought to pay attention to. So. uh yeah. Any thoughts on that before we get into the main topic of this week? No, I, I think I'm good. Hell yeah. Can I get a boom? Nope. Nope. It's not what I do. It's not what I do. No, I'm no only the Hall of Fame Theater does that. I am comic oh, relief. Whoa. I am comic relief. That's okay, it. I get it. Okay. That's all I do. Just, Sorry yeah, for trying just, to get... Look, hey, man, I'm just saying, like, do, you, do, you are you, supposed to be a producer of this show. Am I? 
Were you going to get original? more involved? Are you going to the Are last really trying to do that? Is that really the okay, point? Fine, fine. All right, we'll move on. Okay. We'll move on. All right, projections versus rankings versus ADP. What are they? How do we blend it all together? And how do we spit out the guys that we're looking for in drafts? I think this is a pretty important thing because, like we, you know, referenced earlier in the show, it's just like, you know, the calendar is getting deeper into August. We're coming up on draft time. And, you know, probably for this week and, you know, the next couple of weeks, we're really just going to be cracking our skulls open and, you know, showing everybody our brains here. And just this is how things operate in the mind of the lateral. Very, 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 very important to make sure that your process for drafting and managing your team is as refined as possible because honestly and i don't know if you agree with this but i would probably assume that you do process is everything because if your process is poor it guarantees you that the results are going to be bad and even because even if your process is good you can't guarantee that everything is going to go well for your team but like you know we don't want to be out here telling people like hey if you're really looking to get an edge in your league make sure that you take the first defense as early as possible. You know what I mean? Because like that would be terrible advice, you know? So just we're starting here, projections, rankings, ADP. What does it all mean? How does it all come together? And I first ask you, uh, in your mind, what are projections? How do you put your projections together? Just kind of, like I said, crack open the skull there and show everybody your brain. Sure. So projections, rankings, ADP projections are literally projecting out the stat line for a player. And therefore you should also be projecting it out in unison with the whole team. Cause you want to make sure that like, you don't have like, say for example, Carolina, cause Carolina seems to have three pretty set wide receivers. So, yeah. you know, let's say that like you think, Robbie Anderson's going to get a hundred targets that you think DJ Moore is going to get 110 targets. And you think Terrace Marshall is going to have like 90 targets, but then like you only have Sam Darnold throwing like 400 passes. You have to look and make sure that like, okay, well, so that means Christian McCaffrey's like only getting X amount and then no one else on the team is getting any more. Like you got to make sure that you're being realistic with what you're projecting out and the best way to do that is do that from a team-wide perspective and then looking at the results individually once you have it done from a team-wide so that way you're making sure that all your numbers match up because again like you know you can't have every pass catcher have a better catch rate than the completion rate of your quarterback because the quarterback will only complete those passes you can't catch a pass that's incomplete you know, you, it, you will find that the relationship between the quarterback and the wide receiver fairly paramounts when it comes yes. to the sport of football, <laughs> you know, and, and much like it is paramount to the sport of football, it is paramount to your projections. So those are projections thoughts. Do you think I pretty much nailed it there? Yeah, for sure. And especially, you know, like when you're going through that, I think the two things that are, at least in my mind, that are really important to do, um, let's just uh, keep it in mind for uh, wide receivers for now, but I'll expand it a little bit to running backs as well. Um, just distribution of workloads, 
you know, because there are only so many passes that exist. There are only so many rushing attempts that exist. And in your own mind, you do have to be able to look at who is on the depth chart, who the offensive coordinators are, what their tendencies are and all that stuff. And then, you know, throw in a little bit of, you know, pepper on some, you know, like, I think this guy's really talented or I think this guy sucks and blah, blah, blah. And then you just kind of throw it out. For wide receivers, it you know, to your point, you know, projecting out targets, I really like to look at it, at least in my eyes, in terms of like target share. What percentage of the targets are you going to see a wide receiver get of the total passing attempts thrown? So, for example, like Devontae Adams with, you know, the Green Bay Packers, there's a very realistic chance that he gets 30% of those targets thus making or like around there i'm not saying exactly 30 but you get what i'm saying like 30 percent of all passes will go to devonta adams just you know for an example whereas you know we saw aaron Rodgers demanded as part of his return to green bay it's like hey go get my guy randall cobb you know because if we remember from back in the day they had a very good connection but you know if we look at it, we could get really rosy about that and just, you know, anecdotally be like, oh, wow, well, look at what they were able to do back in the summer. This could be incredible. But, you know, how much of a target share do you really project Randall Cobb to have? I don't really have that answer off the top of my head quite yet, but I don't think it will be as high as it was in his prime. So, you know, temper expectations a little bit. And that's a good way to just like separate, you know, narrative from, you know, things that you could, you know, realistically expect and then briefly before we move on like you know running backs same thing you just have to look it's like who's going to get a heavy workload who's not going to get a heavy workload try and find teams that are you know more in favor of using running back by committee or teams that you know really like to have a singular workhorse you know stuff like that because just like it is for any position that's not quarterback volume is king you want to find guys that have as much volume as possible in terms of the work that they receive whether in the rushing game or the passing game if not both and yeah you get all of that through doing these projections on every single team. So just, I, I don't know. I, I felt that was, I felt that was a good thing to throw in there. Um, but then we get to rankings because, you know, like projecting it out is kind of the first step, right? Once you have everything projected out, you, you got, you got to put these guys in some sort of an order because otherwise you just have like a, you know, mishmash of information in your brain and you're like, oh, what do I do with all of this? I did all of this stuff, but what do I do? How do you approach your rankings? All right. So there's two ways to approach your rankings. One of them is correct. And one of them is incorrect. The incorrect one is the easiest one. You basically take your projections, you turn them into fantasy points and you sort. Yeah, I, I do see a lot of people do that. And I'm just like, Bro. it's a really easy first instinct to have. For sure. We've all done it, I think, at some point or another, myself included. But it is incorrect. And there's a reason it's incorrect. And the reason is your projections are just as likely to be wrong as your rankings. None of it is set in stone. Bingo. It's all guesswork, though, educated guesswork. And yes. so if you just sort by what you projected the finishes as, you're taking all of your instinct out of it. So what you should instead do is rank them according to how you would draft them. Now, you should then take your projections into account for that. So, for example, if the guy you have at 
QB 10, for example, you projected to have like the 22nd most points out of all your QBs. You should probably not have that guy at QB 10. I would not recommend that. <laughs> but if like you, the guy you have at QB 10 is projected to be like your QB 15, then you could potentially go, okay, well, this guy is still within a tier with these other guys with similar projections. And I think he has certain traits that give him the upside to then be the QB 10. Even if my projections currently have him a little lower, because I found that my projections might be, you know, a little on the conservative side. And so ultimately I want to draft this guy higher because the range of outcomes is better. Yes. Range of outcomes, folks. Honestly, that's, that's, that's everything. If you have more to add, I would gladly hand it back to you, but I will definitely be hammering on that point. Yeah. So as an example of Baker Mayfield is someone that I could see maybe projecting better than he ranks or, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, actually Ben Roethlisberger would be a great one. Ben Roethlisberger will probably project better than he ranks because there's a chance that you'll go, well, those three wide receivers, they're all going to demand targets and Najee can catch the ball out of the backfield. So he's going to demand targets and they can run 12 personnel. So they're going to command targets. And ultimately you're ending up with Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball a ton, but his arm looked weak last year. They think it's better, but you might not think that he is towards the tail of his end of his career, whether it is for the better or worse. And so therefore, like you have to, I think state that the risk of injury is greater at this point than it has been in years past. And again, we have seen that in the past couple of years that that risk of injury is greater. So you bake that in versus someone like, you know, perhaps a Tua or a Baker or a Trevor Lawrence or Kirk Cousins, someone that's like, you know, with the exception of Tua, but who we think has hopefully bounced back. Like these are guys who have shown more durability Tua, you're putting ahead potentially because of potential rushing upside, a little more electric play. You hope that they tailored the offense better to him, et cetera, et cetera. But so these are the things you look at when you're doing your rankings versus potentially your projections. So that is the difference there. And so therefore, again, you should rank based on how you would draft, but utilize your projections to come to the conclusions about how you draft. Exactly. And, you know, it's, again, range of outcomes is everything as far as this goes, because there are a lot of guys that I believe could absolutely smash if everything goes properly for them. An example being Kenny Galladay being just like this physical you know, specimen, oh my gosh, you know, like the nickname Baby Tron that he hates, you know, and it's like, well, well, if Daniel Jones, like, you know, finally puts it all together and, you know, and you look at what the Giants have been able to, you know, put together in terms of the receiving core, you know, this is something that I've brought up in the past as reasons I'm a little concerned about Saquon Barkley's receiving role out of the backfield. You know, it's like, if that all comes together, then I mean, like, wow, that could be fabulous, but it's just like, you're you're getting caught up in a lot of hypotheticals a lot of things that have to go right for that thing that you think could happen to actually happen so the fewer and fewer question marks you really have about what needs to go right for a player should really be telling in terms of like 
how do I feel about this player? Because, like, obviously, the more questions you have, the more you should probably be a little nervous. But the guys that have the least questions are the guys that it's it's the very narrow range of outcomes. Because it's like, if so many things have to go right, a lot of things could also really go wrong. If not a lot of things have to go right, you're golden. You're absolutely golden. And an example of that, you know, just like keeping it in Pittsburgh. We've talked about this a lot. I know that a lot of people are really nervous about like, oh, well, you know, the Steelers offensive line, you know, it's, there's a lot of turnover. What are they going to do? It's a lot of young guys. Like, what's going to happen? Like, I get that. But if Najee Harris is going to touch the ball around 300 times between rushes out of the backfield and targets in the receiving game, what are you really worried about? Honestly, like, what are, you, what are you really worried about? Are you worried about Kalen Balaj? No. Are you worried about Anthony McFarlane? No. They like to use one guy. He's going to touch the ball a lot. Not a, a lot really has to go right for him to be good. Whereas a guy like Damian Harris in New England, somebody that we've also talked about a lot. So actually, no, I'll pick a different example because we've talked about him a lot. Raheem Mostert, at least in my mind, just like, well... Anytime we've ever seen him, you know, he does extremely well. And it's like, yes, I mean, he's one of the fastest players in the NFL. That's proven by, like, you know, stat casts and all sorts of other things. And, you know, it's Kyle Shanahan, the zone run. It's amazing. It's an amazing scheme for running backs. Raheem Mostert should be great. It's like, well, but yeah, but he also gets hurt, like, a lot. He's also kind of a lot older than some people seem to realize and also as you know very well not you the listener my co-host you know the the Niners like to have that running back by committee so you know it's just like there are certain opportunities that are going to be taken away from him so despite the fact that Raheem Mostert is very very talented and has the physical skill set you know to be a guy that could potentially if everything went right be like you know, like a very high-end RB2 or something. There are a lot of things standing in his way. So am I going to rank him as high as some other people do? No. And that's why I have him at, like, RB36. You know, because, I mean, they spent a third-round pick to bring in Trey Sermon on top of everything I just said. So just be mindful of those things. Be mindful of the range of outcomes. There it is. That's all I got to say on that. Now, when it comes to ADP, uh, averaged, uh, wow, blech, average draft position. Very, very important thing to look at. So there are people who harvest all of this data and put it all out there, looking at different mock drafts and stuff, and they put together, on average, where do these players get drafted based off of everything that we've seen so far? it will give you something to, you know, kind of look at, just, you know, kind of prepare you a little bit for what other people are thinking. In your mind, Malcolm, what do you think is the biggest thing we can really take away from ADP? And then just anything else you have on the subject, the floor is yours. ADP allows you to play chicken. That is the benefit of ADP. I love it this analogy already. Oh, that is that is the goal of ADP. So, for example, and yes. we'll just get right into our examples here. Uh, 
value is determined when you take a guy at an ADP below what your rank is for him. That value will then become when you draft a guy at an ADP below what his ultimate finish is. But when we're talking about draft analysis, initially it is rank versus ADP. So again, when we look at the end of the season, it'll be finish versus ADP or wherever you drafted them. Uh, But when we're talking about draft analysis, it is rank versus ADP. So for example, Justin Fields, is a fancy pros projected QB 27. He's my QB 13 fancy pros ECR QB 22 and four for four ADP QB 18. So what that should tell you is even though I have him at QB 13, I should not be drafting him as the QB 13 on the draft. I should wait. Now your home league may be different or whatever league you're in may be different. You may know things about the people in that league they will draft a certain way. So you have to take ADP with a grain of salt because ADP will not translate to every league, but it does give you an idea. It does give you a sort of sense of where you should be concerned about taking the person. Cause again, like taking the QB 13 in a league that could happen, you know, in round 12 or it could happen in round 15. Or if you live in the Chicago area and you're just playing with a bunch of casuals, you know, there might be just that one huge Bears fan in your league that just decides to be like, oh, yep, taking him in like the fourth round or something. You know, it's just like, you know, there's a little bit of that, too. But generally speaking, like I, I, I agree with the premise. Yeah. And so then you don't want to reach on someone you're hoping to be a value because once you reach on them, that value goes away. So, for example, with Justin Fields, say I am in that league with that Bears fan. I'm worried about him taking him. So, like, if I take Justin Fields as, like, the QB 13 or 14, like, maybe it's not the end of the world. Maybe I can reach because that's ultimately somewhere in the early double digits. You know, the guys I'm taking are a little bit more dart throws anyway. But, like, I shouldn't be reaching into, like, round eight, round seven. I mean, that's where you're getting really valuable guys. You're better off just going, you know what? I'm not going to get Justin Fields. I can instead pivot to something else, do that, let them have Justin Fields, and let me get some value elsewhere on the board while they're making that reach. Exactly, because like, and like you said, with it being a big game of chicken, you know, it's like you are waiting out everybody else in your draft room. The way that you can really maximize your team build is just by well and also this really just speaks to like know the people that you're playing with honestly like because for those of you you know in long time home leagues like i would assume that you probably know the people that you play with pretty well i know that in our home league of note there is a fairly hefty bias towards baltimore ravens Pittsburgh Steelers and Washington football team players. We just know that. And if members in our league want to jump on those things, we just take advantage of some other stuff later. You know what I mean? Like we, we have that going for us. So definitely a good point on that. Um, Yeah. I would say like another one. So like we just did draft night out at the expo. And so we did a super flex draft for that league 
And so like Superflex, you'll have like leagues like Scott Fishbowl where Superflex League tight end premium. So like some tight ends and some quarterbacks are just flying off the board. And if you're not getting a couple within the first five rounds, you could be in trouble. Or you could pivot and decide to take value and get some guys at other positions and then play chicken down the road and try and get some guys at QB and tight end later in the draft where, you know, you're going to hope they hit, but you're not as confident about. So like with this draft night out one though, like I noticed that the guys in my draft were not like reaching for these quarterbacks, even though it was super flex. So I waited until round seven to get my second quarterback, which was Trevor Lawrence, which like, isn't bad. So like I'm able at that point to get, Najee oh, Harris and Darren Waller and David Montgomery and DJ Moore and Deontay Johnson because I'm not taking guys like Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts and Matthew Stafford. You know, it's just you have to see how the board is going to come to you because again, like a QB three is a good thing to have in a super flex league, but like I saw some value at wide receiver on the board in my opinion, so rather than taking someone like a Taysom Hill or Carson Wentz, I went and got DJ Chark, Jalen Waddle and Henry Ruggs, and then took Mac Jones in the 14th because I was like, you know what? He'll be a decent enough QB three. I think that he'll come into the starting role at some point. So I'm willing to take that risk and just take him super late. Allow me to build that wide receiver depth instead. Uh, and again, like, you know, I knew everyone in the league hates defenses and kickers. So I didn't bother to reach for a defensive kicker and I took the Baltimore Ravens and Jason Sanders with my last two picks, which is like, there's going to be leagues where you have no shot at doing that. You just won't. Oh, 100% man. And like, honestly, and I think this really leads us super well into, I guess, kind of, you know, the final part of this conversation, um, you know, cause I, I think we've demonstrated how to use these principles when drafting but it ultimately brings us into like, what is the definition of value? Because this is something that we've talked about on basically every episode of the show before, but never really dove into in terms of what we mean by like, oh, I really love the value of this player. Like, oh, like good value, bad value, like, you know, let's just, if you, if we've got some names, we really want to throw out there in terms of examples of good value, bad value. Let's get that out of the way and then we'll hit the mailbag. Yeah, so I already touched on it a little. So Justin Fields, to me, is a really good value. You can get him super cheap, QB 18. He's an ECR, QB 22, projected QB 27. So like if I have him QB 13, because I think he's going to potentially start week one to the NFL season, certainly start week two. um, You know, that's a huge steal. I think he's got the talent to get it done. So like to me, that is a massive value because I am potentially getting the QB 13 at QB 18 price. That's kind of the way to think about. And so someone who for me is like a little bit less of a value, but still a value. I have David Montgomery as my PPR RB 12 and he's four for four ADP RB 17. Something to keep in mind four for four is ADP does not discriminate based on PPR, half PPR and standard, but it is a good resource for ADP because it does aggregate all the major platforms. Uh, if you want something that will determine, differentiate between PPR, half PPR and standard. I recommend fantasy pros EV ADP does not aggregate quite as much, but it will allow you to differentiate between uh, scoring types. Very true. Very true. So to me, like 
RB17 versus RB12, you might be talking even about the same tier almost, uh, certainly only a tier apart. If you are the RB12 in projections, RB17 is probably within your range of outcomes. It would be a disappointment, but it's within your range of outcomes. Um, and projections kind of lead to that. Like he's projected in fantasy pros to be PPR RB17. He's ECR RB17. So again, it's like he is a value to me, but the value is much less than say that Justin Fields value. Very true. true. And then DK Metcalf to me is a negative value because right now he's going to ADP wide receiver six, his PPR projections wide receiver eight, his ECR is wide receiver seven. So he's already going above projections and that's expert consensus ranking. And then I have him as the wide receiver 12. So like, I just don't want to pay that price. So to me, that is a negative value. And then Travis Kelsey is like a Kelsey is like a dead even. He's my tight end one. He's fancy pros tight end one. He's ADP's tight end one. Like he's just the tight end one, unless you are Herms, in which case he might be the tight end uh, too. Yes. Then I, I will reiterate just for the listeners one more time. Darren Waller basically does the same thing and you can get him like a round later. There it is. But either way. <laughs> so in that, in, but, but in that instance, <laughs> what you would do is you would say that Darren Waller is a value because instead of paying that premium to get Travis Kelsey earlier, you're instead maybe picking up a stud running back and you're getting Darren Waller a round or two later. Bingo. Yeah. And that's it. That's value. That's projections versus rankings versus ADP how you should utilize them, what value is. That is how you should draft. Yeah. And, you know, and the reason that I didn't list any players is because we put together a list of people that we agree on. I mean, like I'm one spot off on fields, Montgomery, Metcalf and Kelsey, which direction is up to the imagination of the listener until our rankings come out. But yeah, no, seriously, guys. I mean, like that's, that's that's that shit that's that shit that you need to know that's that good good so man i feel good about that uh, i i feel good about that we got this we got that energy going into the mailbag so oh are you ready for this because i got a real good one for you i'm really excited for this first question from the homeboy wyatt at wyatt b underscore ff also very good karaoke singer yeah, Very he was good. a lot as, of fun at karaoke. As we were walking into uh, the karaoke bar, shout out Jose's Landing, belting out the uh, I believe in a thing called love. Ooh, he, oh, man, he really belted that. That's, that's my boy right there. Um, who is one RB from the quote-unquote dead zone that you would plant your flag in or on if you had to? Now, and for context, uh, so the RB dead zone, this is it, it's a, a theory that a lot of us, you know, fancy people have constructed is like once you get past the first, you know, you want to say 15 running backs or so just to, to put a, a range on it, maybe 15 to 20 running backs or something. Maybe even fewer things get kind of ugly until you get to the end of the draft and then there's just that huge pool of running backs that are just very confusing in terms of how we feel about them. Usually somewhere between like the sixth to eighth, ninth, 10th round, 
the definition is, you know, it, it depends on who you ask, but just generally speaking, that's what we're talking about in terms of the running back dead zone. Um, yeah. So is, who are you, uh, who from that range are you looking at and being like, that's my dude. I'll tell you who it won't be. It won't be Mike Davis. It's not Mike Davis. It's not going to be Mike Davis. If you have been listening to me all off, uh, all off season, I have been just screaming from the mountaintops. Mike Davis will not finish the season as the Atlanta Falcons starting running back. We've seen this movie before. He is a 28 year old journeyman running back who just had a career year at age 27. Yeah. Isn't particularly efficient has already been cut by a team that brought him in with serious money to be their starter before when he was younger. You know, it's like, I want nothing to do with Mike Davis. I just don't. Because like, I have him ranked fairly highly, but even like before we started recording, like I can't justify moving him down in my rankings, but like, I hate it. (laughs) like i just i i really i look at it and i'm just like no this is not going to end well whether it's uh javian hawkins or a cadre olison who's been receiving a lot of buzz coming out of camp or cordero patterson we've referenced his name on this show before he he's probably the unlikeliest of those three to really overtake things but i digress Mike Davis is not the answer here. But the guy who who might be the answer. Well, luckily, there's another question about him in the mailbag. So Z2 at Z2 Fantasy says a tough (laughs) one for you. Rojo to the moon or no. And I'm like at least Rojo to a geosynchronous satellite. Do not besmirch the name of Rojo. Oh my god. Anybody who has followed me on Twitter for more than like two days will figure <laughs> like I've written about this for another site that I contribute to, and we've talked about it on this show. You've written about it on the ladder, just like I I can't even <sighs> read the articles that we've written about this stuff. Go back to other episodes, just just know. This is a very pro Ronald Jones. (laughs) Like this is, we are dying on this hill and it will go down in a glorious blaze. If for some reason it goes wrong, because we just believe so much in it. Ronald Jones is that guy for both of us. Cause the four for four ADP has him. I want to say RB 35, which I think. Yeah. And that's something that I, I find that to be just egregious besmirching of his name ronald jones is my rb 23 and he will hit a lot higher occasionally depending on you know matchup and whatnot it's ronald jones it is ronald jones yes (laughs) so we talked about value earlier herms has him at rb 23 i have him at rb 24 he's going at adp RB 35, that is a value. So like that is someone that you can play a little bit of chicken on, get him later. And basically unless uh, Herms or Jeff Crisco is in your draft, you should be able to get him, Um, which I learned to my chagrin. 
Um, hey. But yeah, uh, Ronald Jones, he was RB13 in all formats last year before going on the COVID list. He's clearly the best running back in his RB group. He like went for five yards per carry. At any rate, like we digress. Um, next question. From Derek Bordeaux at pigskin underscore Drock or D Rock, whatever it is. I want to say Drock just because I was going with Drock. Yeah. Okay. So Drock. Pigskin underscore Drock. Who is your lowest ranked tight end that has tight end one overall upside? Also, describe the perfect taco. I will quickly answer the taco thing before um, you get into the actual football question. There is a place uh, in town where I live that does Berea tacos that are incredible. So basically the whole thing is just like, imagine like a au jus dip, but with tacos. The the term is like, consume. Oh, consume. Oh, yes, yes. The the oh yeah, because it's the very similar the to au jus, yeah. but it is yeah. it is more of a soup than a like gravy, and so therefore it is consume rather than au jus. Fair enough, fair enough. But either so just but either way that that's my perfect taco. So just I, I burrito tacos are fantastic. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Did you know sometimes they're actually really considered more of a quesadilla just because of the way they're constructed. You know, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. but I, I am with you. I am team. It is a birria taco, and a birria taco is delicious. But personally, I am pro. Just give me an al pastor and some habanero hot sauce all day. A little bit of that sweet and spicy and savory and salty and umami. It just, oh, the perfect taco. For those who don't know, an al pastor taco is a pork taco with pineapple, a little bit of chopped onion, a little bit of cilantro, but real al pastor taco is actually pork shaved from pork on a vertical rotisserie specifically oh, um fun fact yes so al pastor tacos will be done with pork in general there's no guarantee that you're going to be getting a true al pastor which is like shawarma or euro or donor kebab done on that vertical rotisserie um but that is what a true al pastor is supposed to be it's supposed to be on that rotisserie um and if you're broke, go to Taco Bell. Yeah. And actually, I learned the other day that the Lebanese, I believe, are the ones to thank for the Al Pastor taco because they brought the vertical rotisserie from the Levant over to Mexico. And the Mexicans adapted it to create the Al Pastor pork. I feel like this is taking away from the Titan question, and I'm absolutely okay with this like honestly it's more fun to answer this than the tight end yeah, question honestly, it, it's 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 taco facts with the lateral you yeah. know just like honestly like we may or may not have to do this more in the future i'm and a huge fan of this <laughs> the reason that we're kind of shying from the tight end question is because there's i think a couple guys you can make a stretch to so i have tj hawkinson at tight end six there is a outcome within the range of outcomes that has him as tight end one overall just because the wide receiver room is so ambiguous ambiguous jared goff doesn't like launch the ball downfield etc etc anthony lynn is favored using tight ends in the past i could go on the head coach is a former tight end because you know but it's unlikely really it's george kittle at tight end three george and there's an argument to be made that's really darren waller at tight end two like it, it, you just have to command such a massive 
target share to compete with Travis Kelsey. And Darren Waller is really the only guy that has done that recently. When Kittle coming close and then really no one else quite getting there. Yeah, I mean, and I'm right there in line with you. The furthest down that I could even justify a legitimate case for is Hawkinson. Because, And even then, I will say, there are certain people, it's not a very large group of people, but they just firmly believe in this whole, like, Kyle Pitts to the moon thing. But uh, Calvin Ridley has a certain thing or two to say about that, as he is your wide receiver one overall. So... Yes. Pump pump the brakes on that one if uh, if, uh, if you're one of those people. Uh, yeah. Hawkins, I guess if I really wanted to, for some reason, like the the percentage chance of this happening is in like the point zero 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 one chances. If Mark Andrews just exploded with touchdowns in the red zone, like a la Eric Ebron, however many years ago it was in Indianapolis, on top of what he already does with some yardage stuff, sure. But even then that's you know going back to the range of outcomes things it's a it's a fairly ludicrous ceiling that is highly unlikely so there that goes that's the answer to that question we're synced up on that one and then we move on to a question from joe o'leary at the hq nerd love to hear your thoughts on the bills backfield i mean i think you're hearing our thoughts on the bills backfields which are not much. Um, I literally wrote not great Bob dot gif because it's just <laughs> like uh, the here's the thing with the Bills backfield. If you're going to take a piece, I would take Zach Moss. They're both incredibly cheap. Zach Moss is the one with the highest upside in his range of outcomes. He could take both some passing work and dominate the rushing work. But that is a team that doesn't use the Arby's a ton either in the passing game or the run game, they tend to use their quarterback as a goal line back. It is just something that, like, at a certain point, if anyone falls enough, you'll take them. But for me, I just don't see that happening with the Bills, and I don't think I will have any leagues where I have a Bills player on my roster, and at least out of the running backs. Yeah, I mean, I am somewhat of a Zach Moss apologist but even then like you know the the lead rb like you know it, to, to your point is just it it's it's josh allen because you know one of the things you really like out of the running back position is the ability to score touchdowns and when the bills get in close and they're going to run the ball they're going to run the ball with the guy that also happens to throw the ball so you know not a lot you can really do with that feels like a simple answer um yeah not great, Bob. Uh, what, what do we got for the next question? So Mike Hicks at drop the mic FF goes, okay, boys, what do you think of the Houston backfield? Who would you take a flyer on and who will be their RB one? What are your thoughts? So I have not, I, I have not dived deep to the same level that you have on this in you know our you know because in our time you know traveling back from ohio we saw a little blurb from david johnson about he how he was less than thrilled with his role you know in the offense you know coming off of the first preseason game and it seemed like he was doing some part-timey type stuff and uh 
you know, Philip Lindsay, if we're going to pick somebody out of it, you know, is probably looking like he's in line to be that guy ahead of him. Uh, so that's my answer, but I think you probably have a better explanation. No, I mean, my answers are one the same. It is Philip Lindsay. He is both the one at this point that I would take a flyer on and who will be their RB1, and it used to be one and the same, and that I would take the flyer on David Johnson, and I thought David Johnson would be the RB1, but it seems that they are determined that David Johnson is not the answer. They restructured his contract in a way that he is now pretty cheap, there is a risk that he is a cut candidate, uh, though I ultimately believe it will be Rex Burkhead that is the one who gets cut from that group of four running backs. It really seems that Mark Ingram won't be, which is wild. Um, yeah, that does confuse me. But we have we have the thing to remember is like since the beginning of the offseason, we have truly believed that this Houston Texans franchise is incompetent. To the highest degree, it is almost malpractice. And, you know, like Philip Lindsay, he's a two-time thousand-plus yard rusher. He's younger than any of these guys. He's probably a better runner, honestly, than any of these guys, especially at this point in their careers. Like the wheels fell off Mark Ingram. David Johnson's been spotty and clearly doesn't have the backing of this coaching staff. And Rex Burkhead is a bit more of a, you know, pass catching back occasionally breaks off some runs, but like, he's not the electric runner that Philip Lindsay can be. And so it's like Philip Lindsay, you can get him for nothing. His ADP is incredibly low. Uh, uh, he's RB 50 and four for four ADP. Wow. Though I would expect that to possibly adjust as, it seems more and more apparent that David Johnson will not be the RB one in Houston. Uh, so like I being one person have easily adjusted Philip Lindsay in my rankings and David Johnson in my rankings. And now Philip Lindsay is my RB 35 in PPR and David Johnson is my RB 44 in PPR, but ADP takes more time to adjust, which is an important thing to consider because you have to get drafts in. ADP does not come without drafts. So you have to get drafts in in order to reflect the changes in ADP. So I would say the more people that now draft closer to the beginning of the NFL season, the more drafts you'll see where Philip Lindsay is possibly taken ahead of David Johnson. Though David Johnson has that name recognition. I think Philip Lindsay will continue to be a value in drafts. And the bow that I will put on that is that you know, despite the fact that, you know, things obviously, to your point, have not taken a lot of time to, you know, process and, you know, a lot of you know, mocks going through to alter this data. David Johnson on the 4 for 4 ADP, only RB39. So even if we do see Philip Lindsay rise, it's not like he's rising super high because theoretically speaking, and correct me if I'm wrong he would just rise to where people thought of David Johnson, right? Because, you know, I, I, I'm playing it simplistically. At least I would, I would it, like, you know what I mean? So the only counter to that would be what if he continues to look decent to good in preseason, but I would say that your conclusion is a logical one. And it would not shock me if ultimately they simply flip. And if it continues to rise, and if he continues to look really good and it goes to an unreasonable point, 
That is what we in the industry like to call a helium balloon. Yeah. And that is not something that you want to get involved in. Also known as a hype train. Yeah. (laughs) I think the important thing to consider is David Johnson is the only running back on the Houston Texans that can be a three down back. Philip Lindsay cannot, or at least simply will not be on an NFL franchise. I don't think his pass catching is like all that bad, but like clearly NFL teams don't believe in his ability to do that. So you can't bet on that. Um, Whereas David Johnson, we've seen him catch balls out of the backfield very successfully. And we've seen him run the ball out of the backfield very successfully. Mark Ingram, you could say that to a degree, but I think after last year, everyone knows that he can't stay on the field for three downs physically. Uh, And Rex Burkhead, again, he is not a true, um, true runner in the same way that Philip Lindsay or even David Johnson can be. Yes, but I mean, not at this point in his career. Definitely, no. definitely not. And then uh, we rounded out with a question from one of our writers. Boom! Oh, it's, it's Professor Zaki coming through at Zaki NFL. Please, please, please follow that man. Absolutely love him to death. Brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, do you see Antonio Gibson taking over the passing down work for the Washington football team? If so... What is his projected ceiling for you? So just, you know, the elephant in the room here, you know, for those of you who, you know, may not remember, uh, J.D. McKissick had an insane amount of targets last year for the Washington football team out of the backfield, but maybe some changes on the horizon. Who knows? It's kind of the point of the question. So what do you got? Yeah, um, that's a tough one because... I don't know if take over is exactly what's going to happen, but I do think he is a lock to increase his holdings within that aspect of the game. So we have JD McKissick last year had 110 targets, which is wild for comparison. Peyton Barber had seven. And somewhere right in the middle was 44 for Antonio Gibson. 44 is a lot of targets to a running back. If you tell me that Antonio Gibson's going to get 44 targets next year, I would say as long as he gets more than 170 rushing attempts, that's actually like not shabby. Um, I'd like to have him see a little more, but like there's plenty of running backs that will finish, I think, in the top 44 that, you know, 40 to 50 targets will be plenty healthy for them. Um, So we're talking about an RB group that if we believe vacated targets are real, which we can make the argument that they're not shout out Peter Howard, but let's say they were going through that RB group 125 to 150 times. Do I think Antonio Gibson will see more of those targets yeah i do i think you know a 60 target season 70 target season even an 80 target season not out of the range of possibilities for antonio gibson but i think what's more likely is maybe we see closer to 110 targets for that rb group as a whole because the issue is the wide receivers were awful last year yeah terry mclaurin who's great 134 targets, awesome, stud, alpha, whatever you want to call him. It's a shame that he still finished as a wide receiver too. 
Do you want to know how many targets and who the next wide receiver was for the Washington football team last year? It's going to be painful to find this information out, isn't it? <laughs> uh, luckily, I have it up, so you don't have to worry. Take a guess. I want to say Cam Sims. It is Cam Sims. And do you know how many targets Cam Sims had over 16 games last year? Oh, it's got to be in the ballpark of like 50 max. 48. Check it out. Look at us. Yeah. Two DC area residents. No. (laughs) Yeah. So we're talking a bit about guys now like Adam Humphreys is potentially the wide receiver three, whereas Cam Sims was your wide receiver two. Adam Humphreys is better than Cam Sims right now, period, the end. Full stop. Very true. You know, so like, and then we're not even mentioning Curtis Samuel, who's then in between. So we now have Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, and then maybe Cam Sims is the wide receiver four. Maybe Antonio Gandy Golden like comes up a little, gets a little bit more work, you know. Logan Thomas exists. Logan Thomas end. exists, but he did get 110 targets last year. So I would say, you Still know, worth throwing out ex- there. expecting a drastic difference from that one way or the other, you know, you don't necessarily have to go that route. 110 seems a reasonable area to shift from slightly, yeah. but not drastically. But like, again, you know, JD McKissick's not getting 110 targets next year. But like, could JD McKissick get 60? And then Antonio Gibson get 50, which would be an increase. Or, you know, maybe it's 70 and 60, which again would still be an increase. Yeah, maybe, and, you know, maybe it's even 70 for Gibson and 60 for McKissick. But then, like, we're not talking about a full takeover. We're not talking about an Eckler, a McCaffrey, or a Camara like role necessarily there. So I just, you know, I have concerns that Antonio Gibson, while he will be used more in the passing game for sure, will not necessarily dominate in the way that the most bullish people on him will hope. Yeah. And, you know, and I definitely feel you on that. And, you know, I've got. I've got my own thoughts about Antonio Gibson that I will share at another time because the important thing here is to plug the work of our own Professor Zaki at Zaki NFL doing his stuff. He's got an article coming out about Antonio Gibson that you guys should definitely check out as soon as that's all ready to go. Still in the editing stage. We got a couple other you know things coming from him too, and that's going to be fantastic. Can't wait for you guys to read it. And you can find those articles on www.thelateralff.com you can find us on twitter at the lateral ff you can find me at herms nfl you can find mclateral at mclateral ff and uh what else do we got uh what else do we got coming up to round out the show you know just uh anything we want to tell people about it's projection seasons, man. Like, I think I think we're going to work on projections. I think we're going to work on maybe putting out some rankings articles in the near future. We want to get that out for draft season. Um, you know, I, I think I speak for all of us at the lateral where managing the offseason appropriately at times has gotten away from us. Oh, oh yes. But yes. the good news is last year we managed to stay on track when it came to in-season content and 
This year will be no different. We already have all of the days of the week planned out. We've got podcasts coming out. We have articles coming out. It's going to be good stuff. We've trimmed the fat in places. Again, it's it's going to be it's going to be awesome. I'm very excited for our in-season content this year. But our our preseason content's still going to be good too. So keep an eye out for that. But our goal is uh our goal is definitely it's projection season right now. Projections and rankings. I just finished ranking all 116 quarterbacks in the NFL for whatever that was worth. So on to the running backs. Yeah, so as you finish that up, I will fit, put the finishing touches on my rankings. We will be able to put that out in some shape, form, or fashion very soon. And like, like you said, you know, just we got some fun podcast stuff planned. We've got the daily articles ish, you know, something like that planned just like we did last season and even better. Cause now it's just more than the two of us. So hopefully, you know, but this is going to be uh it's going to be a good year for the lateral. So make sure that you're following us and all the places we said to follow us and apologize that this one ran a little long, but we're sluggish. We're tired. We spent numerous nights at George's. Shout out, George's. George's was great. George's was great. Shout out, Canton. And shout out everybody that we met. And, you know, I tweeted it out. Uh, I, It was a very emotional trip for me. But it was a great time. I'm glad that I got to meet all of you. I speak for you in that regard as well. Wonderful to be able to network with everybody. And, man, I don't know. We're a little burnt out. But until next time. This is the lateral show. Oh, there it is. That's how you nail an ending right there. That's how you do that. See, that is some professional. Follow the lateral on Twitter at the lateral FF and check out the website www.thelateralff.com. Beep, boop.